This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark, 
wants to give a big shout out to all the truckers that listen to our show. Green County, Pennsylvania was unknown to paranormal enthusiasts until the Kevin Paul Amazon bestseller Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Green County, Pennsylvania, revealed the phenomena lurking in and the haunted history of the southwestern corner of the Keystone State. Even more high strangeness can be found in book two of the series, Kevin Paul's Haunted Hills and Hollows 2, still lurking in Green County, Pennsylvania. One thing is certain, it is nearly impossible to be alone in Green County. These riveting books, Haunted Hills and Hollows, and Haunted Hills and Hollows 2, by author Kevin Paul, in paperback, Kindle, and audiobooks, are available now on Amazon. Longtime UFO and Bigfoot researcher Stan Gordon is releasing his fourth casebook called Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. Included are many cases from across his decades of research from Bigfoot to giant flying creatures, many UFOs, aquatic beasts to hairless, sickly looking humanoids. Enjoy a journey into a realm that suggests that present-day sightings of monsters might be real mystifying creatures, none of which are supposed to exist. Some cases include one of the creepiest crawling cryptids of all time. Was there an even stranger Mothman encounter near Pittsburgh in 1966? The small Bigfoot and the strange sphere of light tall, hairless humanoid with glowing yellow eyes that follows man to his house. Stan presents some startling cases that suggest that some of the unknown creatures being reported may be much stranger than just flesh and blood. Could some UFOs and even some cryptids possibly be visitors from another dimension? Order your copy now of Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. Stan's new book, as well as his other case books, are available online at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Or visit his website at www.stangordon.info. Meet the Totally Ninja Raccoons. Three raccoons who become ninjas because they already have the masks. The Totally Ninja Raccoons books are short adventures with quick chapters, specially structured to encourage reluctant readers. Each book has the Totally Ninja Raccoons encountering a cryptid. The monsters are presented in a fun, not-so-scary way. I said not so scary. (sighs) Readers are encouraged to do their own research and make up their own minds about the possible existence of Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, aliens, and more. The Totally Ninja Raccoons are available on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. You can buy autographed copies direct from the author at kevincoolidge.org. That's kevincoolidge.org for the Totally Ninja Raccoons. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you... 
Is not an alien force already among us? Night Dreams brings on the night worldwide. Did you know you can find us on your favorite app? And now you can watch us live on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up. And now... Here's Gary. And here I am. Boy, it's Thursday, the 24th of March. A lot of things in the news. Ah, we just missed another asteroid that was coming towards Earth. It passed the Earth tonight at 6.35 Eastern Time. It was the size of the Empire State Building. That, if it would have hit, would have done some major damage. Well, are we going into a recession Well, according to Wall Street and Goldman Sachs, we are going into a recession really fast. And there's no stopping it. Oil prices were the other day $100 a barrel. Today, $200 a barrel. What does that mean? Well, in a few days, when you go get gas, the prices are going to start going way up. And that is really scary. And it's just not going to affect you buying gas. It's going to affect everything. And, you know, again, we have printed out so much money to keep the economy going during the COVID that that is the number one killer that, well, it's causing the inflation. They printed out trillions of dollars with this figure. If you go on your computer and just print out checks, that's what they were doing. The Federal Reserve was just printing stuff up with nothing to back it up. That is really scary. Well, in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, they've been getting reports of UFO sightings. Not lights, but actual UFOs. James, are you ready to go to Las Vegas? Not to gamble, not in the casino, but to go look at UFOs. Yeah, listen, there's sightings all over, but Vegas seems to be on the uh, up on the uprise with all these sightings. It, it makes me think of something else with the Vegas and the UFOs, but uh, listen, I think there's going to be more to come, so um, I'm curious. I'm going to keep tuned about this. Well, I am, too. You know, again, too, that normally UFOs are spotted more than in battle zones where there's areas of war, and there has been some reports coming out of the Ukraine of UFOs. I don't know if it's true or not. Again, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because I don't know really what's happening in Ukraine other than It's one hell of a mess. Well, you know what? Neil deGrasse Tyson says that we're never going to go to Mars. Never going to go to Mars. Because each day, if you were headed to Mars, you would get a lifetime of radiation. So by the time you would get to Mars, you'd be long dead from radiation poisoning. And it's a whole bunch of other things when you think about it, because we don't know how how much people would get irradiated. But at this point, we don't have the capability of keeping the radiation from uh, getting into the astronauts. And I tell you, uh, why are we even thinking about going to Mars at this point? I think if anything, we need to go back to the uh, moon if we ever went there. Uh, and create a moon base because you know again the international space station is going to be gone in a few years uh they're going to bring that down uh into the ocean and uh, that's the end of that i think now is the time if we want to go out in space we need to see what happens if somebody's on the moon for six months to a year and see what happens because the astronauts in the space station 
are coming back after they've been up there. You know, their brain shrinks. It doesn't grow back. They have all kinds of health issues. So that is really scary. What's your feedback, James? That That is really scary. And, you know, it's funny you mention that because I just seen a documentary where the two twins, they did the experiment. One was in space, I think, uh, three or six months, something like that. And when they came back, there was all kinds of differences. Um, his DNA changed. One was taller. They even looked different. It, it, it was bizarre. And then you mentioned about um, the radiation in space. Even the shortest trip going to Mars is, what, six months? That's a lot of radiation. And, and look at all the health problems that go on from where we're at in space now. And we're only up a few hundred miles. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Imagine going 250,000 miles to the moon and being on the moon for six months. The, the health problems you could have. Oh, you would have. And again, you have to realize Mars doesn't have any protection. So you're going to get irradiated on Mars, too. So I don't know. Well, Google Earth, there's a photo hitting the internet right now about a ufo crash in the ocean they found supposedly wreckage uh, google uh, earth has found wreckage of a ufo it's down at the bottom of the ocean do those type of pictures uh make you wonder if they're down in the ocean they could be in places we would never ever ever think about looking for ufos Oh, boy, you, you nailed it. I, I actually think that there's – I'm one of those com- people that think they could be hiding in the oceans. Why not? You know, we haven't even begun to, to explore all of our oceans, and there's places down there that they could be down there we wouldn't know. So what a perfect place to be as if you, were, you had UFOs. Well, yeah, maybe they got bases down in the ocean. I have no idea. But this picture clearly shows a wreckage of a UFO. Now, again, you know, things that show up on Google Earth, they don't have a tendency of staying there very long. Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about Roswell. And again, there's so many theories about Roswell, what happened in 47. Some people say it never happened. We got another group. Oh, it was a weather balloon crash only then it's well it's a weather balloon with crash dummies on it and and if you really think about it i mean you know they're trying to cover their their fanny think what happened in 1947 the army air force announced they had wreckage of a ufo why in a few hours after they announced it to the press They recanted their whole story. Well, maybe we'll find out more here right after this break. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. Check out our website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Don't forget, tomorrow at 8 p.m., we're going to take call-ins. The number for call-ins tomorrow is 1-253-203-6681. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. Echoes of Eden by Paul Wallace. What secrets of human potential lie hidden in the world's ancestral narratives? How are they connected with God, the Bible, and E.T. contact? 
From U.S. Senate briefings to ancient African ceremonies, from strange phenomena in Australia and Iraq to anomalies in Brazil and ancient Greece, the Eden Series takes you around the world to discover why governments, military, and intelligence are interested in archaeology and initiation practices, and why you should be too. And what are the implications for you and me? To buy Echoes of Eden, The Scars of Eden, and Escaping from Eden, go to Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Echoes of Eden is endorsed by George Nuri. Paul has done it again with his Eden series, delving deep into the power of the mind to do incredible things. Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. Well, thank you, Val. Well, James, what can you tell about our guest tonight? Well, our guest tonight is Debbie Ziegelmeyer. Now, she has been investigating UFO reports for many years as Missouri State Director of MUFON. And she has done well over 1,200 investigations of not just UFOs, but USOs also, plus Roswell. Well, Debbie, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. Well, you know, I I can ask you a question. How old were you when you started getting interested in UFOs, ufology? Oh, my goodness. Probably... I would say seven or eight. Uh, I, I grew up in Safford, Arizona, at the foot of Mount Graham, and um, as most people know now, the, uh, the the Vatican has a large telescope at the top of Mount Graham, so that just lets you know how wonderful the sky is. You know, I was seven, eight years old, and I'd go outside and just look at the stars and dream. I've always been interested. Well, did you ever have an encounter when you were seven years old, or was it because of those old B-movies you saw these UFOs <laughs> and ETs, the one-eyed monster alien? Is that what got you into it, or what actually got you into it? I, You know, I think it was the combination of the sky, the movies, and um, also, you know, I was, you know, grew up with Star Trek and, uh, well, my son actually, Star Wars, but also, too, when, when I was a young child, uh, I we didn't live that far from Tucson. I saw the giant wing go right over my house. I just thought all of it was intriguing. And especially, I was a Star Trek fan because I just, I, I, I've always been an explorer. You know, so I mean, I, I'm a scuba instructor. You know, I've, I'm a UFO investigator. And now I'm, I'm specializing. I specialized in Roswell for a lot of years. Now I'm specializing in surprisingly enough what's underwater so we can talk about that later in, in about well did you hear uh, what i said think. at the beginning of the show <laughs> right <laughs> about google you know they 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 clearly show a picture of it looks like a crash site under the ocean of something not like an aircraft but something out of this world there are a lot of things i found on google earth and they do tend to disappear later. I've I've got a few of them in the book, but um, there's you know it's getting harder and harder to hide things. We've been hiding things underwater for centuries. They have been hiding underwater. Oh yeah, so, it, it just you know that's what that that would be another proof right there that these things exist. But you know again with Google, I've seen a lot of strange things, especially in Antarctica, 
that, you know, I, I go to it. I saw one of my friends, like uh, uh, Mary Joy, said, hey, go on to this, and you you got to see this. And I go on to it. I see it. Not very smart. I didn't screenshot it. But I figured a couple <laughs> hours later, I'm going to go back and screenshot this. This is interesting. And when I go back, it, it's blacked out. It's not there. Yeah. Um, that happened to um, Jorge Martin in Puerto Rico. And he did get some of it on his website before they blocked it out. But there's a great big something underwater, right? Um, uh, just right on the shoreline of Ponce. And he has a few other things on his website. Uh, I, Very nice gentleman. I just got on the phone one day and just called him right up. And he talked to me for well over an hour about sightings they're having in Puerto Rico. So, yes, he did. He was smart enough to copy that really quick and put it on his website. I wish I would have been. Now, have you ever actually saw a UFO yourself? Yes. Can you tell uh, us which about time? it? <laughs> which which time? Um, when uh, I let's see, it was probably 1979, uh, Arnold, Missouri. I was at the Kmart, came out shopping from shopping, and there was two silver metallic spears at about maybe 70 degrees in the sky, one on top of the other, about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon, the wind blowing something fierce, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, the Everybody was out looking at them. Uh, they came out later that it was supposedly weather balloons that escaped from Texas, but there was no possible way. Uh, I saw something in 2007. I was coming home from dive instructor classes, and I got out of my Jeep. It was at 10 o'clock at night, and about the size of a, about the well, cell phones are bigger now, but at the time, about the size of my cell phone, one of those flip phones, a, a rectangle craft came right over my head. No sound or anything. It had a red light at each corner and one in the middle, and they were blinking kind of brighter and dimmer. That went right over my head. And, um, oh, uh, January 26, 2006, I was on a Royal Caribbean ship, and that's in my book. I got a picture of of some saucer-shaped crafts that were hovering. They were kind of teetering back and forth and hovering over the water. Um, they weren't something that I saw through um, a plexiglass. I actually saw these, and I took off running toward the back of the ship to try and get a second picture. And I, I got a picture through plexiglass, the second uh, picture, but the first one, this isn't a reflection. I actually saw them. They didn't show up on my camera later. They changed the date and the time on my camera, too. I think it went from January 26th to February 5th, about 11 hours later. All my pictures from that point on were changed. So, uh, you know, you can't go out there and investigate 1,200 cases and not see something I we're investigating some things now here in Missouri that we cannot explain in a case that we've been working on around water, around a river since uh, 2018. Have you ever got scared with any of these strange encounters at all? Nervous, at least. Uh, the, the one uh, Roswell, the encounter that we had in Roswell in 2016 and 17 was a little unnerving. Can you tell um, us about that one? Well, sure. Uh, in 2016, my brother Chuck and I went to Roswell. We were speakers in Roswell. And about uh, we decided that we were going to go out toward the um, the Ragsdale site. So we, we went down 
Um, I believe it was Highway, let's see, Highway 246 West for about 40 minutes. We pulled in up against a cattle gate. We were there about 9 o'clock or so. And about 9.15, he said, hey, you know, I got new LED lights on the front of my truck. And they work with a remote control. And he, he hit the remote control and the, light went, the lights went on and then off. And he goes, oh, I set up a pattern too. So he hit it and it, it flashed four times, paused, and then another flash. And after he did that, about 60 degrees in the sky, about the size of Mars, which was to my right, you know, just off my right shoulder. I was looking toward, we were both looking toward Altair. Um, this bright white light just flashed twice at us. And he looked at me and said, did you see that? And I said, yes, I did. And I said, hit the remote again. He hit it again. And this light flashed back at the one with the pattern, the four flashes pause in a flash and it flashed back flash flash again at us and he said that's got to be a plane that's got to be a drone he said it's hidden behind the sky and i said with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's not a cloud in the sky. That's the Milky Way. So I said, <laughs> hit it again. So he hit the remote. It happened a third time. Well, we tried six more times after that, and it didn't happen again. So this was July 3rd of 2016. So July 3rd of 2017, we were back naturally again speaking in Roswell. And he said, let's get out there and see if we can have the same thing happen. Well, we ended up getting tied up. Um, we were meeting with the Roswell Daily Record um, reporters, having uh, dinner with them, and we got started a little bit later. So we didn't get out of the hotel till about 10:30, quarter to 11, and we took off, heading the same direction to try and do it again a little bit later down a uh, highway 246 west. Uh, we took off, and we weren't driving maybe 10 minutes, and this is a, a highway that has a yellow line in the middle. You know, I guess that's what two lane, and then all of a sudden it turned to one lane, no line, and then it turned to dirt. And he said, "What happened? Did we?" take a wrong turn? I said, no. And I said, well, let's just, you know, turn around. Maybe we were talking, we missed something. So he made a U-turn. We turned around, got back on, went from the dirt back onto the paved road. Then we looked ahead of, and then there was the road again with the line and we're driving slowly. Thought, okay, where did we miss this? And it turns into one lane, turns into dirt and a dead end. And he goes, what's happening? And I said, I don't know. I said, turn around again really slow. So he turned around and he said, let me look at my GPS on my, on my truck and uh, my navigation system. Well, it wasn't working. Our cell phone said no service. And he said, grab the GPS out of my bag, the handheld one. So I grabbed that and I said, Chuck, the batteries are dead. 
So <laughs> he looked at me and he said, we're trapped. So I said, let's go again really, really slow. So we took off again and we're creeping. We come up again. It's paved road. Then it turns into two lane, the yellow line in the middle. And then it stops again. All of a sudden, it's dirt road and it's a dead end. And he goes, what do we do? And I said, well, I don't know. We kind of looked at each other. And so, I mean, I was a little bit nervous there. So we turned around one more time. And I said, this has got to be it. We've, let's, let's just try it again. And then sure enough, we came up, you know, up to where lights, we could see town again. And we went all the way to Main Street and, and um, the main highway there. And then just turned around and slowly went in our direction again, headed down 246 West and got to our spot, which was about 40 minutes away. The crazy thing about it was that we left out of there about 11. I don't think we the whole ordeal happened, you know, that maybe that wasn't more than 15, 20 minutes. But we arrived, which should have been 40 minutes away, at 1.30 in the morning. That is weird. So, <laughs> I know. And, and it was, the weirdest thing about it was we were, we were upset that we were late getting there. We, we, he said, well, if anybody was going to be here, if the lights were going to be here, we've missed it. And we, it, it, so we stayed till two thirty, quarter to three, and then we went back uh, to our hotel and went to sleep and got up the next morning and left Roswell and got about headed toward Colorado Springs and got about halfway home. And I said, "Hey, Chuck, what happened last night?" And it kind of, it was just odd that we're investigators. We've done this for years, and it didn't dawn on us that he said, "You know what? Somebody was either." trying to stop us from getting to where we were. Maybe it was dangerous. Or he said, I, I don't even want to know. But he said, we probably should have just stayed trapped where we were and got out of the vehicle and looked around. <laughs> I don't know if that would have been a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's, uh, that was really odd. I mean, so there's things that are still going on. We talked to somebody else the following year, and they said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't drive down uh, 246 at night. There's strange things that happen there. He said, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's th such things as time slips. You could have gone into a time slip. And, and, you know, if you would have got out of that vehicle or if you wouldn't have keep doing what you did, you might not be talking to me right now. You might be in a different time, another dimension, a parallel universe. Who knows? Oh, would that be fun? <laughs> not, not really, unless they have a lot of Twinkies and chocolate milk. I, I, I'm adventurous. You're talking to somebody in January that that jumped out of an airplane and went skydiving for the first time. I was tethered to somebody, but I thought, wow, what could I do exciting for my birthday this year? So uh, we went to Key West and I went skydiving. You know, when I was in the military, <laughs> we had to go make a jump. And I literally, uh, you know, I was thrown out of the plane. I, I kept telling to the drill instructor, I said, why would I ju jump out of a plane that's still flying? <laughs> I, I mean, I have this phobia. If I get on 10 feet above the ground, I get dizzy. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm nauseous. I'm sick. Now, if I'm sitting in an airplane, I don't get that effect. But if I go on the roof of the house and look down, ooh, you know, I, it, it's horrible. So, I mean, jumping, I, I, I commend you. I, I couldn't jump out of <laughs> an airplane again if well, I ever, ever even had to. Well, I was going to go uh, scuba diving, but I've been diving all over the Florida Keys. And uh, it was windy. The conditions weren't the best. And I thought, oh, I'll jump out of a perfectly good plane instead. And I had a ball. I was never even a little bit afraid. I, I got to see the Florida Keys, you know, Key West from 10,000 feet. 
Um, the one odd thing was the uh, as we were plummeting um, and as when the the parachute deployed. The uh, dive instructor I was tethered to, he says, look at that. And there was a circle rainbow, and our black shadow was directly in the middle of it. <laughs> and, uh, I said, have you ever seen that before? And he said, no. Well, they took video. I hope, you know, he didn't, it didn't show up on there, but I thought that was also a little interesting. <laughs> How far is that away from the triangle? Uh, oh, Key West. Um, I guess a triangle really starts kind of Miami and okay. goes toward um, Puerto Rico, uh, Bahamas, off in that direction. So maybe if it from Miami, that's about 100 and, oh, let's see, down the Keys, it's, uh, let's see, we had a place on mile marker 104, so probably 150 miles maybe from Miami south, 140, something like that. Okay, so you weren't in the triangle. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back with Debbie. We're going to talk about Roswell and all the information she gathered up by interviewing, you know, relatives of the people that actually experience what happened at Roswell in 1947. Stay tuned, and don't forget tomorrow, starting at 8 p.m. Pacific West Coast time, you can call in, ask questions to our guests or me or whatever. We'll be right back with Debbie, so stay tuned. And discovery for the enigmatic giants of the forests. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. The author himself describes it this way. Having found possible Sasquatch evidence, namely trees driven into the ground upside down, thought to be territory markers, led me to investigate this creature in my native Ohio, Several years and many forays into Bigfoot territory, I have found incredible evidence which inspired my book On the Trail of Bigfoot. Bigfoot is alive and has many fantastic abilities. The evidence is out there for all to see, but you need to know what to look for. My book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org. What can suddenly burn a person to a pile of powder, yet allow nearby combustibles, even clothing, to escape damage? Spontaneous human combustion can. An enigma so bizarre and frightening. Spontaneous human combustion remains hotly denied by mainstream fire science and modern medicine. In his groundbreaking book, Ablaze, The Mysterious Fires of Spontaneous Human Combustion, Larry E. Arnold explores the high strangeness of this fascinating mystery and challenges with meticulous research the popular consensus that spontaneous human combustion is crack pottery and myth to be debunked. Read Ablaze the Mysterious Fires of Spontaneous Human Combustion by Larry E. Arnold. Available now on Amazon. All right. Night Dreams Talk Radio would like to say a big thank you for listening to Gary and his guest. Gary brings back paranormal talk radio like you remember. 
And we are back with Debbie. You know, again, you you sat there. You were so lucky to be able to, you know, interview relatives of the people that went through Roswell, their ordeal, what happened in 1947. Uh, Again, what happened for anybody out there might not know about Roswell. That's uh, 1947. There was a reported crash of a UFO. That was released by the Army Air Force. A few hours later, they recanted the story. They said it was a weather balloon. But you were able to talk to these people. What type of things were you getting from these relatives of these people that lived through this? Oh, gee, I was so lucky. Uh, in um, May, uh, well, it was Memorial Weekend of 2001. My my brother, my brother Chuck Zukowski, uh, he lives in Colorado Springs. He and I had been to a family event a few months before and found out we were both investigating Roswell, decided to pull our resources. So Memorial Weekend of 2001, we headed to Roswell. Um, we walked in the door of the Roswell UFO Museum, and there was Glenn Dennis, the, the uh, morti- well, uh, he worked at Ballard uh, Funeral Home, and uh, Walter Hott, the public affairs officer who Colonel Blanchard had told to release to the public that they had found a flying saucer. So there's Glenn and Walter standing right there. Um, I was, I just couldn't even breathe. You know, I, I said, oh my gosh, I have to have my picture taken with them. And uh, I was uh, 20 years younger and they were, I believe, a bit older than I am now. <laughs> and, and so I smiled really big, flipped my hair a little bit. And I, mean, I guess they could see that I was in awe of, of their presence, I guess. Uh, and uh, they invited my brother and myself into the office. Now, that was a big deal back then. That they had their own office in the museum and to get invited in there. I sat and talked to Glenn Dennis and Chuck talked to Walter Hott. Glenn told me, sat right there and told me the story about how they had asked for the small child-sized coffins, how he'd had the call, how he went to the base to find out what was going on, how he, the nurse had told him to, to leave and about the uh, the Lord, the tall, big, uh, red-headed soldier that had pushed him and threatened him to leave. And then also about the meeting with the nurse the following day and how she said that she had done an autopsy on three aliens and drew the picture of the, the head and the hand and then lit it a fire and put it in a glass of water. He said, I mean, I've heard the story before, but he said and personally told me that. I, I, it was it was just really something, and then also the the the, the gentleman um, collected very very old cars and was excited that he would work on them and and um, remodel them, and he was excited he had another one to you know that that he was looking at to buy. So I mean that I was very very fortunate. Uh, then after that experience, it was uh well I believe it was probably the Fourth of July the following year. Uh, I met Don Schmidt down there, and my brother and I got invited to the the um, Roswell, um, the dig, the um, archaeology dig in September 21st of 2002. So we were down for about five days, and I was lucky enough to meet Nancy Easley Johnston, who was one of the volunteers there on site. Her dad was the provo marshal who had to cordon off the whole area. Um, keep it secure so people wouldn't come in while they were searching for debris. And so that's when my, my brother and I 
dug up. We we decided we were they were we were digging uh, one meter by one meter square knee deep holes, and he asked if we could stay an extra day, and do a strip dig, which was one meter. Um, it was a I think a, a meter wide by fifteen meters long, and then we were uh, digging down about ten. Uh, centimeters, which is about four inches or so, which would have been 70-year-old dirt, and came across a silver metallic, oh, I guess maybe about half the size of my thumb, a little silver metallic triangle that was uh, later Chuck had it analyzed. He he was lucky enough to have access to a um, an electron microscope, and they looked at it, you know, very, 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 very close. And it was uh, aluminum silicon, which so much pure aluminum that it was really unheard of in 1947. Very um, interesting. Was there anything else in the aluminum uh, with it? Um, it was just, it. they said primary, uh, primarily a few other little bitty things, but primarily very pure aluminum with a little bit of silicon, and, and it, later on, um, it, it was kind of odd, but Bigelow, I think it was in 2010, w- uh, was asked to take a look at this, this piece. It was stored at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. They had the thing for about a year, and it took a while to get it back. They cut the tip off of it, but they sent my brother and me an email saying that um, their initial testing, they were unable to identify a mass-produced polymer that matched the artifact. Uh, we thought, what? So we asked them to clarify that, and they go, oh, we didn't say that. They said, yeah, we, we didn't know what it, you know, it, it was just aluminum. <laughs> so there was apparently some kind of an, a, a polymer that they couldn't identify, and then they pulled back on it, but we saved the email. It would have uh, to be something, <laughs> you, you know, Debbie, would to be with aluminum, because aluminum has a very uh, it, it, low temperature. It'll start melting, and and it's not a very strong metal. And, and to withstand coming into the Earth's atmosphere and all this stuff and, and the going at various speeds, it would have to have something in it to fortify it for it wouldn't, you know, melt. Uh, you know, the, the craft... When that craft that that had crashed, they called that we refer that that as a skip site. The debris went for about a quarter of a mile, and uh, I got to talking one time. I, well, I was in Roswell speaking, and Chuck and I were, and we had a picture of the artifact up on the screen. I did take a picture of it before I sealed it up, and it was it. There is an official archaeology report of exactly where it was found. We documented everything, and of course, you know, I was asked, "Why didn't you keep it?" And I said, "Well, then you've tainted your your artifact. You know, everything has to be documented. You can't be taking things from an archaeology site." And uh, Stanton Friedman saw it at the time, and he says, "You know, I had heard from somebody that the um, the creatures had suits on, and they were made up of several of these little triangle shape little. Uh, tri- it was like a triangle shaped pattern." And he said, did you ever think it might be a little triangle shape from one of their uniforms? And that was the only time I ever heard that, but that was a comment that Staten Friedman had made. Not everything disappeared. You know, when you have something that blew up, there were still bodies that were found. 
there were three, uh, at least three bodies that were found by Mac Brazel. So not everything disintegrated. That's, you know, they obviously had the craft, too. Well, can it, too, Debbie, it was reported that one of the ETs was alive for a while. Um, I believe I heard that from the Ragsdale site, that that's the, that was, I believe it was Jim Ragsdale, that uh, he was in the back of a pickup truck with um, a young lady drinking beers, and the craft had crashed and put a big slit in a rock, and he said that there were alien beings and that one was alive. I also heard, too, that they found the three from this crash. I believe there were at least two of them that probably banged into each other and then went in opposite directions, kind of pool ball effect. Uh, there was also a report that um, they, they found three bodies, that it broke open and they fell part way. but then the final resting place was 19 miles from the skip site, there were a couple there, and I believe one was alive. There might We're thinking maybe there might have been even as many as six, maybe three from one craft, three from another, because they asked Glenn Dennis for, uh, well, he, they asked him if he had child-sized coffins, and Glenn told me that he told him that he had two one on, and a third one on display, and he was able to get two more. These were hermetically sealed coffins, child-sized so there very well could have been um, a sixth one that was alive for a while, but initially they needed five coffins. Because he said, do you need any more? And he said, no, that would be plenty. <laughs> you know, and you think about this, you know, the, 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 the story that the Air Force or the Army Air Force and then later the Air Force came up, you know, saying it was a weather bloom. But, you know, I've been at that crash site myself years ago. And if you look at it, there's no way. No way a weather balloon could have ever caused that and, oh, and no. done what it's no way. It was, I think, 2007 or eight. We were driving out there and um, I looked up and saw a weather balloon going by. And it was funny because it was in the distance going right directly over the debris field. I got video of it. And I said, look, there, there's a weather balloon. It was during the day. No, there was, there was no way that. Well, Fawn Fritz, the um, uh, Mac Brazel's granddaughter, I spoke to her on the second dig. She was there. It was uh, June of, um, I think, second week of June 2006. And she was one of the witnesses that was interviewed there on site. I asked her about it. I said, so what do you think about all this? And she said, granddaddy was, was a, a very good Christian man. He wouldn't make things like this up. And I said, how do you know it was here? And she said, well, it's when you leave your house and you go to the grocery store, you don't need directions. She said, our family's been on this land for years, and we recognized by landmarks. And she said, we know it was right here. There's the sinkhole over there. It's the Heinz house a little bit down the road. There's the windmill. She said, we knew it happened here. And that and it aggravated them to no end because they, they were sheep herders. And the sheep would not cross that quarter mile area for a couple of years. They'd have to herd them all the way around it. They, she also said there were no jackrabbit snakes. Nothing would go in that quarter mile area for that time. Um, I asked her about the meat locker. She said that there never was a meat locker given to her granddaddy, that there were two other families. I think it was the Stuttlemeyers, the Proctors, and the Brazels. I believe all had a meat locker together. I think it was in Albuquerque. 
She said he didn't get a pickup. They kept him for at least five days and threatened him, threatened the family. So over a weather balloon? And you would think that uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. Would know, you know, would know the difference. This was what he did. You know, he was in charge of the launching of these balloons. He'd know the difference between that and, and a, a, a UFO. Now, there's a big difference. If you go back and even on YouTube and, 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 and look up weather balloons like 50 vintage, you know, they were canvas rubberized. They were fairly big, but there were not anything it could have created any of that type of stuff that, you know, it supposedly happened at that crash site. It's just no way. And then they, they tried covering up by saying, oh, it was, we were testing, uh, uh, you know, these dummies and all this. They came up with so many different little variations of what happened. And why, if it was a weather balloon, why would they have had all those military personnel shoulder to shoulder looking for debris and picking it up? Uh, you know, uh, all part of the cover-up. At first, Colonel Blanchard released it, and then it got, um, as far as uh, Washington, D.C., General Ramey called back on it and said, no, 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 we've, we've got to cover this up. There could be some technology in there, which, you know, you can uh, read Philip Corsell's books, that, that when they looked inside the craft, it was way bigger inside than it was from the outside. Uh, they also, the looking out through the windows was night vision, there were, there were a lot of things also found in the craft that, you know, of course, that they wanted. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To back to engineer. And, and as far as, you know, you mentioned the bodies too. I asked Fawn about that and asked if uh, Fawn Fritz, the granddaughter, if she had, her grandfather had ever seen anything. And she said that he didn't really talk about it too much. But toward the end, he said that when, that they found him going back on horseback. He was uh, with uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. and um, Colonel Cabot. And she said first they saw the buzzards, and then they followed the smell. And he said there were three dead creatures that were there. And uh, she said she asked him on you know this on his deathbed. And she said, well, what were they? He, she, you know, she said he, they were creatures. He saw creatures. Um, Je- we took uh, Jesse Marcel Jr. surprisingly had never been there. I thought, uh, you know, years ago he would have visited the site. In uh, 2009, my brother and I were there speaking the same time, in Roswell speaking the same time as uh, Jesse Marcel was. And we got to talking and he said, I've never been to the, out to the debris field. And my brother Chuck said, get in the, get in our SUV, let's go. And we took him down there. Uh, it's about a 75 
minute drive. We took him on the debris field and his reaction was, was really odd. It was solemn, like he was walking on a, a past battlefield or through a graveyard. So I probably have the only video and pictures of Jesse Marcel Jr. actually on the debris field. Yeah, could you imagine what was going in his mind? I, again, a cover-up. You know, again, you think about the Pentagon. Here it is on AP, on the wire, all this stuff, right, about a crashed UFO. You can think about the Pentagon, the President of the United States, everybody, you know, freaking out, saying, kill the story, kill the story. You know, it, it was a weather balloon. Come up with a story. And, and, and just think about it, how... People would have really react if they would have had pictures of bodies, if if the real information would have come out. I think in 1947, after World War II, I think there would have been mass panic. You know that. You know, I, I don't really think so. It, just from speaking to who I, I spoke to about this, who had actually witnessed uh Glenn Dennis didn't seem like he was all panicked. Neither did Walter Hott or the No, nurse I'm not that, talking about those talk- people. I'm talking the population worldwide would start oh. getting freaked out because, you know, remember Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, people back then really freaked out. There was people, there was a farmer that killed his wife and kids because he thought it would be better and more humane that he do it. Versus, you know, the ETs doing it, the aliens, Concrete Washington, they had a power outage at the same time that that play was going. A lot of people didn't realize it was a radio play. And they were people walking around with guns looking for these aliens, you know, to protect Concrete Washington. Uh, There were people jumping out of buildings. I mean, people, you know, especially after World War Two, the tension would have been high. I mean, I'm not talking about the people in Roswell, but I'm talking about after the news media would have played it up. People would have started panicking. That's just my gut feeling. Uh, Might have been. I don't know. The the people there locally, um, Fawn had said that her granddaddy felt bad that that she said, well, one time that he found an injured sheep. They were sheep ranchers. And he put it on his horse and the ba- you know, it was a baby sheep and brought it all the way back home and nursed it. She said that he felt bad that these creatures had passed away there so far away from home. That's kind of the sentiment I got from most most everybody there that nobody really had. I never, I never got that feeling that anybody was really in a panic. But, you know, then again, you've got country folk as, you know, in a, you know, opposed you know, to to maybe somebody else who I don't know. We maybe we have a different mindset. I don't know if I would have been more intrigued and than um, in a severe panic. But you're right. They you know they did during War of the Worlds. I, you know I I don't think so. I I don't know. People don't pay that much attention. It's not like we have the internet now. I mean, I, did you see a great big panic when the government released those the films, the first three initial films, from, with the first one from the Nimitz and, and then well, the, actually, I you know I I get a lot of emails, several hundred a day for the show, and when those were getting released and and all the talk about TikTok, yeah, there was a certain uh, there's different groups of people out there. 
You know, there's ones that don't believe in it. And no matter what you say, they're not going to believe that there's ETs. They don't believe there's UFOs. Then you get another group that do believe. But then you get another group out there that, you know, I hate to say it. I had people worried about being abducted, being all this stuff when that stuff started coming out. Because right now, there's more people claiming that they have been abducted by ETs, experimented on, than I've ever heard in 49 years doing talk radio? Uh, Maybe from my end of it. I don't know if it's picked up too much more. I think they're more comfortable maybe talking about it now, but this has been going on. My gosh, if if you could go back, uh, my book, for one, uh, I found passages in the Bible where there were people that were taken up into the sky from beams of light. There's, uh, there's, there's tales that go back centuries. I mean, look at the Sumerians. And these things go back thousands of years. And the point that I tried to make in my book, and well, I changed the name about a month into right, starting it, uh, to the alien colonization of Earth's waterways, because I think they're here, they've been here, I believe that maybe that's one reason, too, why they don't, the governments, plural, don't want to release this because they do know that they've been here for quite a while. Um, for centuries, there's there's tales of a 10-foot-tall alien beings in the waters in and around uh, Russia. Lake Bacal, for one, uh, there's another lake not too far away, that uh, the, uh, the Black Sea. That these large creatures have been there, and they're not just coming over and visiting and taking a swim. They're living down there someplace in the depths of of our oceans and seas. And uh, I just heard, oh, a couple months ago, Lou Elizondo pretty much say the same thing, that uh, they he was asked a question in, in uh, the UK about where he thought they might be coming from. And he said, I don't think all of them are coming from someplace else. I think some of them have been here and have been here for a very long time. It just doesn't make any sense if you're going to travel light years and come over and just take a swim, you know, take in our <laughs> in our oceans or seas or, you know, go in and gather up a few samples and abduct a couple people and take off again light years. You know, if they're look at the definition of residence. I mean, if you stay someplace and you set up living for about two weeks, you're considered a resident. No, no. It, it, it Put it this way. In Washington State, if you let somebody spend a night at your house and mm-hmm. then the next morning you want them to leave, you call the police and the police said, hey, you let them spend the night in your house. You need to take them to court now. That that's wow. that's what a resident. <laughs> I can tell you that from experience. You know, again, you know, I I, I do feel that we do have ETs on our planet. I've heard servicemen, uh, Navy sailors, tell me they've been on ships. And, you know, at night, they've seen lights in the water, high speed, following their ship. And then all of a sudden, just veer off at a real high speed, faster than any submarine or anything could ever go. No, absolutely. I've got a lot of those in my book. I've I've got one section that I've probably, I think last count was somewhere around 300 sightings from military ships, fishing vessels, cargo ships. Um, some of the descriptions that I got, they were turned into to merit 
Uh, but some of the descriptions are, oh, well, it was a satellite or it was a star. A couple of them come right out and say it was a UFO. But they, the description is they have to describe something. We, we get that in MUFON where we say, well, does it look like a star or a cylinder? That's not saying that it is, but you have to come up with initial description. But the fact that these seamen are sailors, seamen are out there uh, watching all night. They're, they're out on watch. They know what the sky looks like. They know what's out there. They may be out there for two, three months. And if they finally report something, you know, that's something that's out of the ordinary. And it's it's put them back a little bit to actually say, okay, I'm going to report that I saw something that I really don't know what it is. Uh, there, I've got reports in the book where the the sailors at about 2.30 in the morning and there's a light falling alongside the ship. And then finally it overtakes the ship a little bit. They're thinking, okay, it's got to be a submarine. Oh, then pretty soon it just comes up above the water, takes off of the sky, and takes off. Hell, they're like, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, we're, we're getting in more and more. And, and, you know, after, I had to stop at one point. You know, I, I, I spent 16 months putting everything together. I started this right after the whole COVID lockdown. I thought just in case, you know, something happened and for whatever reason, maybe, you know, I, I didn't make it through this whole epidemic. And that's kind of how all of us were feeling at the very beginning, all in a panic. I had 20 years of research I had to get together. So I decided to get it all in a book. But I got to a point to where it went from a simple little book to a reference book. And at one point, you know, Margie K., my editor, she said, you've just got to stop someplace. I'm still getting reports now ever since the book came in. You know, I've had five or six more people that served in the Navy that said, you're not going to believe what I saw. So well, uh, they're still coming in. Oh, yeah. And it's going to continue, too. I mean, but let's get back to Roswell. I mean, I, we could talk sure. about all this stuff. And I tell you, there's a lot of strange things going on when it comes to what's happening out here. I mean, it it could keep you up for days just thinking about it. Going back right. to Roswell, again, <laughs> the Undertaker, supposedly, you know, here's the thing. Honestly, Debbie, depending on who you talk to, you know, there's a lot of people who wrote books on Roswell. And each one of them has a different take on Roswell, what happened on the crash site. And it's confusing because some of oh, you know, th- that never happened with The Undertaker. That They never got contacted about the, you know, coffins. That was all made up, folklore, all this stuff. I mean, you did a lot of investigating, talking to people that had, you know, living relatives at that time. So let's, let's go back to The Undertaker or the assistant that was working there and the phone call. Did the military come and pick up the coffins from them? Yes, because they didn't want him out on the base. Um, I believe, yeah, because he said he didn't go out and deliver them. They came and picked him up. They, when he did finally show up in the base, out of curiosity, they made sure he left. Um, and then you know we were just talking about people writing books. I've met Don Schmidt, and honestly, if you want to know exactly what happened. That man's got more knowledge on Roswell, Don Schmidt does, than anybody else I've ever met. He has interviewed, oh my gosh, well over, I think he surpassed 150 witnesses years ago. He gets firsthand knowledge from the museum. Uh, the man has, uh, he's done extensive research, and that'd be the person I would go to 
that would probably have the best, most accurate information. One thing he doesn't know, though, um, when we were out there in 2006 on the archaeology dig, which both 2002-2006, of course, uh, Don Schmidt was there, uh, we stayed in Corona at the um, at the little hotel in Corona. There's only about 10 rooms. My brother Chuck and I did. And there, I picked up one of those little local newspapers. There was a, a lady in there named Geraldine Perkins. She was getting ready to turn 99 years old, and she had, for 47 years, she had run the Corona drugstore. Well, uh, I we came on back home, but my brother went out a few months later and interviewed her, kind of through her daughter, um, and he, but he did get to meet her and asked if I had a question. And I said, well, in the country, especially back then, a drugstore would not only have medication for humans, it would have it for your animals, too. You know, Corona is a very small town. And that's just how things are done out in the country. And I said, ask her if there was anything odd about any animals. And she said a couple different ranchers had come in right when all this went on. And there was five or six cows that had turned completely white. Oh, wow. uh, they didn't die. There was nothing wrong with them. They didn't get sick. They just turned completely white. And she said it was a couple different ranchers, and she thought at least five total cows in the area. Very interesting. Now, hey, Debbie, we need to take a break. We'll be back in four sure. minutes. We're going to talk more about Roswell, so we'll be right back. So stay tuned. Echoes of Eden by Paul Wallace. What secrets of human potential lie hidden in the world's ancestral narratives? How are they connected with God, the Bible, and E.T. contact? From U.S. Senate briefings to ancient African ceremonies, from strange phenomena in Australia and Iraq to anomalies in Brazil and ancient Greece, the Eden series takes you around the world to discover why governments, military, and intelligence are interested in archaeology and initiation practices, and why you should be too. And what are the implications for you and me? To buy Echoes of Eden, The Scars of Eden, and Escaping from Eden, go to Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Echoes of Eden is endorsed by George Nuri. Paul has done it again with his Eden series, delving deep into the power of the mind to do incredible things. Did you know Night Dreams Talk Radio now has a great store? And now's the time to get that Night Dreamer, that cool Night Dreams tea, or Bigfoot mug. Night Dream Store has lots of awesome items to pick from. All for the Night Dreamer. For details, check out our show's website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com.
On Fridays, you can call in and talk to Gary and his guest. Gary will open the call lines at 8 p.m. Pacific time each Friday. To call into the show south of the Rockies, the number is 1-253-203-6681. That's 1-253-203-6681. East of the Rockies, the number to call in is 1-253-203-6777. That's 1-253-203-6777. Coming to you from some far point station, like a cosmic tumbleweed, both north and south of the Pleiades, here's your host, Gary Anderson. And we are back with Debbie. We're talking Roswell, what happened to, well, the witnesses, the people who saw it. Again, you know, the sheriff. You know, I heard different things. Now, Don has been on our show, by the way. Uh, you know, again, I've heard from other people that, no, he was never roughed up. Nothing really happened to him. But after what he saw, it caused him some mental issues where he never ran again for sheriff. But then I heard, Debbie, from other people that wrote books that he was roughed up. Uh, did you ever hear anything of what maybe happened to him, actually? No, you know, not really. I heard a lot of secondary information, but you know, like you have. I never met the gentleman, so um, I, you know, I wish I would. You know, it, it's it would be hearsay. Um, never really. You know, I, I know a lot of people were. I know a lot of people were threatened. There, uh, my gosh, it, it, about everybody I talked to out there, they older people. They said, well, uh, I talked to. Um, believe he was Mr. Hotsetter. He said his mom uh, cleaned up um, after. When, when all this went down, the military showed up on the Proctor Ranch, and they just set up house there, kind of took over the ranch, took over the house, made a great big mess, and they had called in his mom when she was a young girl, maybe 17, I guess, to come in and clean up afterwards. And she had found some film and some film canisters after she, after they had left, and she said, "Well, what will I do with them?" And Miss uh, Loretta Proctor said, <laughs> "Throw them away. I don't want those people back in my house. They've trashed my house." So uh, the military came through with a lot of force. I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of people that were intimidated, a lot of people that were not happy of how they were treated. I tried to get a hold of the film. Uh, Mr. Hotsetter went through the garage when his mom passed away and sent me some clips of different things. I believe I've got some, it's film of uh, range, of the range, a lot of their vacation films. I never really found anything. There is film of that whole range out in there, but I I didn't see anything that, uh, you know, that was, uh, I guess, you know, the the smoking gun, I guess, per se. Well, you know, there's rumors out there that, you know, after, you know, uh, a couple days after this whole thing took place, People in either uniform or not uniform were going up to people's houses and threatening them that if they ever said anything, things bad could happen to I had heard that, too. Uh, I have never had the occasion to talk to too many people. Um, Most of the people that I talked to, they said I was there maybe three, four days, three times a year. I've been to Roswell, but I quit counting it. 20 plus times 
I know that I met a gentleman named Eli in the museum. He was this very lovely um, older gentleman. He had a 509th baseball cap on and was looking through old pictures. And my brother Chuck and I went up and asked him, you know, well, so, you know, what do you think about all this? And he said, I'd like to come up here. These were my army buddies and I'd like to come up and visit them. They've all passed away. And then about, oh, I guess maybe less than a year later when uh, Don Schmidt was filming uh, something and um, had us go to uh, Hangar 84, which uh, we, they every once in a while they had tours or events. I believe it's rented out privately now. But he brought in a secret witness, and there was Eli. And he goes, oh, Jack, Debbie, how are you doing? And Don said, how do you know him? <laughs> I mean, so so uh, Eli on film. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He had said, we went into the hangar and he said, right here in the middle of the floor, this is where the debris was. And he pointed to the wall and said there were three bodies that were leaning up against the wall over there. Uh, those other gentlemen too, uh, Robert Shirky, that was a speaker there. And um, he was... Uh, the the uh, assistant uh, for the group operations um, office that that was kind of his title I guess um I you know I got that from his book but he said that he watched debris being being um, carried through the operations building and loaded on a B twenty nine and the B twenty nine they parked that way at the other end of the driveway I mean the driveway I'm sorry the runways so they didn't put this up close they they parked that far and then they took all the trucks over there you know across to the, the farthest runway and transport it out. But that's uh, that's kind of how I met a lot of the people. When you're there limited, we'd hang around. My brother and I'd hang around the museum and uh, talk to older folks. We would talk to some of the older folks in the restaurants. So, I mean, we started this in 2001, and there'd be a very elderly uh, gentleman or very elderly woman that would be sitting in a restaurant eating. And when they got finished, uh, we'd say, so what do you think about all this and this festival? And some of them would say, I just don't want to talk about it. And other ones would say, you know, um, um, I heard about it, you know, but I didn't see anything firsthand. We had one that said that they took a, a flatbed trailer, one elderly woman. She said they brought that thing right down the middle of, of the street, right down Main Street, the big army flatbed trailer with something covered up. I wouldn't doubt uh, it. A lot of a lot of it's hearsay, but it, it's interesting. That's how you do that. You just go to you talk to older people that might have. Now we did see there was one. There was a gentleman um, that um, we met as we were going out in the out to the debris field, and he was coming toward us in a pickup truck, and we were in the other direction, and we just stopped to say uh, howdy. And just said, we're going out to the debris field. And he said, oh, you're part of them. And we said, well, what do you think about all this? And he said, well, he said, I wasn't born yet. But he said, my dad was. And my, my he says, my dad said, well, he said, it happened over there. He said, it was over there in that field. And he says, I can tell you that they weren't green. Well, no, they were grays. But uh, the local ranchers know the area. And uh, they know something went on, but most of the older people, like you said, I think they might have been a little bit spooked about talking to, you know, especially to, you know, to people that 
might get them in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I don't know. How, from 1947 to even back 10 years ago, I mean, what repercussions now would the government have on them? But yet, you know, you, when you really think about it, we were de- if it did actually happen, we were deceived as a population. You know that. Now, do you have any horror stories from people that, you know, passed it on to maybe their grandkids or or anybody that's still alive that remembers anything really spooky what was going on during that time frame? Yeah, it was just the probably the person that I talked to the closest to all this was, was Fawn Fritz, and she had mentioned that, that her daddy had seen creatures and that he was mistreated. That would be probably the most detail that I got from a direct family member. Um, I know Nancy Easley Johnston, that when she worked on the archaeology site with us in 2002 had said that her dad was real hush-hush about it, but he also on his deathbed said that there there were creatures, and that's about all that he would say. So these were being described not as aliens, not as greys. They were being described as creatures, and I got that from two different people, two different descriptions. Yeah, did anybody ever describe those? Are they like the ETs that we see in pictures all the time and people describe? Or were they a little bit different? That's that's my curiosity. Uh, Glenn Dennis told me, he said um, that it was what was described. And, and I had seen the drawing that the nurse, he, he's made a, a drawing since then. You know, I think it's turned up in books. But it looked like, he said it was a drawing of, would look like a, a gray's head with um, the big eyes and a slit for a mouth. And, uh, of course, no hair or nothing. Just she drew the head and the hand had four fingers. So it, it seemed to me what was described to Glenn Dennis would look a lot like a gray. Now, too, you know, these are also creatures that have been badly damaged by the crash. You know, that, that's something else, too, depending on what you saw. You know, you could have it, you know, I wouldn't even want to have to imagine what a body would look like after a crash like that, especially as small as some of these were uh, described as what I guess maybe four foot tall or so. Yeah. yeah. How about the craft size? I mean, uh, when you were talking to the guy who saw the, the wreckage in that hangar, did he describe how big what the, you know, the wreckage was at all? No, he just said it was pieces. It, uh, there was just debris, not actual, not an actual craft. He said there were pieces of debris that were in the middle of the floor, probably stuff that they had picked up from the debris field. I think the initial craft uh, was something that maybe that was what the lady that spoke to me had seen coming down Main Street. Maybe that's what Glenn Dennis said when he went actually on site when that tall redhead told him to leave he said he thought he saw in the back of a truck something covered up i mean that could have been the crash i don't think it was really big i think these were small creatures probably from what it sounds like maybe three per craft and uh they're they're small in structure so i don't think it was anything that was really oversized probably not but too much bigger than i don't know maybe a very large car I, I don't really seem like, you know, maybe I, you know, 10 foot, 12 foot in diameter. I don't know. I'd have to go back and do a little bit more research. But the, the, the best description I've got was from Franklin Mint 
way back years and years ago, they have a replica that was drawn by somebody. They they actually made a replica, and you could buy it through Franklin Mint, and I, I have one. And it looks more like what we described a few years ago as being the Aurora craft, which it really wasn't even saucer-shaped. It was kind of like this dipped-up wings. Now, we're talking Aurora, what happened in Texas, correct? Um, no, this is the name of a, a, a craft. It okay. was there. There was a, a, a an experimental craft, and they referred to it as being the okay. uh, the Aurora. It's just a small little craft. It's a, a, a an aircraft that doesn't have elongated wings, but more short rather than a long wing. The wings are very short, and they're kind of dipped upward, like bat wings. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm familiar with that now. A- 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 again, you know, when we think about all this, I mean. What I remember, my friend Art Bell actually interviewed some people years ago that actually were still living. And, you know, one of the grandsons claimed that he, when he, as a child, he, he saw uh, his father, who was in the military, had a little piece of this metal. And you could wrinkle it all up into a little ball and it would go back into the normal shape. Have, um, you, have you heard anything just- about that? Yeah, just Jesse Marcel described that. Uh, he was given um, a beam, which I believe he made up about 100 or 150 little replicas of it and sold it for a while. I, I do have I, uh, one of the replicas. It's a beam with these, just a really small beam, I guess maybe 18 inches long, really thin, with these little purple uh, figures on it. He tried to remember the best he could, but he he did describe, and he had talked to my brother and myself both about it. That he did describe his dad having the the foil that would you wad it up and it would come back into shape. Um, a lot of he just said mostly because we asked him about that. He said what caught his eye was I mean, his dad woke him up at I guess one thirty or so in the morning and showed him this that was in the back of the, the car and told, he asked if he could have the beam. He was intrigued with that. And then later on, he had to give it back. He said some officers came to the house and told him and his mother that they didn't see anything. They didn't know anything. If they knew what was best, they would keep their mouth shut. I think that's what upset him the worst was the fact that it didn't bother him so much or his mother so much, but the fool they made out of his dad. And that, that absolutely broke that man's heart. Uh, he would talk to us sometimes about that and just say that you know the, his dad was a good officer. He was a, a very honest man, and what they did to him, handing him those pieces of of a kite or whatever the heck it was, and and taking away the the actual balloon pieces for that photo shoot, he said it made his dad look like a fool, and and he just, you know, he he, he could never forgive him for what they did. Although he was a very loyal officer, my gosh. Uh, I, at 68 years old, I believe he went back and did two more tours of duty overseas as a flight. Um, a, he was a, a, a flight medic. Way back, I mean, he was 68 years old and did two tours of duty in a row. So, oh wow, he was very patriotic. I know he came back from tour the second time, and we had just seen him, and he was there in Roswell, and his helmet had from the helicopter had bounced up and back and forth on his head and he had his head was raw all the way around his forehead from the helmet and he had knee braces on that you know braces that went from actually from his knees to his ankles and he said that was from crouching down in the helicopter and um, I guess holding his gun and and um, giving support while they were bringing in the injured soldier you know I guess he was he was doing backup support 
and then he was crouched down in this helicopter working on him. And so it really, he said he would have gone back a third time, but he just wasn't healthy enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, very interesting. A, a, any other thing you could, you know, because our time is running out here, anything else that you wanted to relay to the listeners of what you found while you were investigating um, and interviewing people? Oh, yeah, very interesting. And back in 2007, Jim Mars came up to me and he said, Debbie, you got to come over. I have this gentleman I found. His name is Robert Ridge. And he's got this stone. And it was about the size of a silver dollar. He, uh, Robert found it in September 2004 at the base of the El Capitan mountain range. And the stone had what looked like a crop circle um, a, a design on it. Uh, the, the stone, he found it while he was elk hunting. It had magnetic properties. He'd put a, a, a magnet at either end of it and cause it to spin. He also said, look at what he had found. He did some of his own research, and it mirrored uh, a crop circle that appeared in Liddington, England, on August 2nd of 1996. I found in uh, Denver, I found Andrew Wheeler and Doe Kelly, two crop circle experts that were selling books, and I asked them about the the crop circle they said oh we've been in it then would they authenticated it said it did have magnetic properties and uh, you know uh, it, it, it caused people headaches and emf and all that type of thing i thought that was very very interesting people wanted to cut into the stone and see if they could uh, analyze it further uh when we met him my brother and i had him follow us to albuquerque three hours hours north and dr bill doman who had been the lead archaeologist on both of those digs from 2002 and 2006 um he analyzed it and he said the the nearest he could figure he said the i guess it's a patina on it he said with well, a stone looked like it was probably carved about 300 years prior the thing about it is chuck had it replicated it cost him a hundred dollars and they still couldn't do as good of a job and said that um probably three four years ago they wouldn't have had the kind of cutting equipment to even make this type of stone so if, if anybody's interested in looking at that, I believe that's on my brother's website, UFO Nut, uh, the stone and um, the picture of the, the, the crop circle. But I thought that was interesting because that wasn't too far away. He didn't find that too far away from where Chuck and I had our experience with the light in the missing time. Uh, you know, that is kind of eerie, you know, to go on a road and then it all of a sudden the road disappears and goes to gravel and then it goes to a dead end. <laughs> you had to go in through a time slip or something or something didn't want you to, you know, go any farther. I tell you, I would have been terrified myself. Uh, you know, we, we were more mad. It was it, something was stopping us and we were intrigued and we really didn't get a little nervous till later. And then we thought, oh, that's interesting. So <laughs> I don't know. That takes a whole lot to scare me and Chuck both. Um, we, we've encountered too many things that are. A little off the wall you can't you can't do this type of thing and you know when you see something you don't run away from it you run toward it as an investigator oh yeah um, I don't know. maybe you have to be a little bit crazy or <laughs> i'm not exactly sure but i enjoy doing it and and um people always ask me what is my uh what was my favorite investigation and it's to me it's always the one yet to yet to come well, maybe one of these days you're going to investigate something and you're going to go, oh, my God, I wish I never got that far into it. Uh, do you have a website <laughs> or any books you want to share to the listeners? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, my, my email address is MufonDiver at gmail.com, and my website, is it's about water, is uh, DebbieDiver.com. Um, my book is The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways. It's a reference guide to UFO and USO's water-related activity. So I, I've got things that go all the way back past uh, earlier than the Bible. Um, also, too, hey, if, if you're interested in UFOs, the MUFON Symposium, as you know, I'm a, a MUFON state director. I'm also on the MUFON board of directors. We're having our MUFON Symposium July 8th through 10th in Denver. So look on the MUFON website, MUFON.com, and sign up for the conference. Boy, you have a great time. They're always, you meet a lot of really interesting people. Okay. Well, hey, Debbie, I want to thank you for coming back on. I want you to stay safe, will you? Oh, I will. I'll try. Watch out for those girls. <laughs> I, ha- I have to or I won't be able to do the next adventure. <laughs> I know. Okay, my friend, you take thank care. You. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Okay, you take care. Well, hey, James, what's your whole take on Roswell? Oh, I definitely think something definitely, definitely happened there because I've always said, you know, if it was a top secret weather balloon, they wouldn't wait waited a week until somebody found it and reported to them, what is this? They'd been out there, you know, uh, covering it up right away and looking for it. So, yeah, something definitely happened there. Uh, look at all the witnesses that have come forward. It's got reported something from the, you know, back from the 40s and the 50s and onward. Uh, they aren't all making this up, and a lot of them are very credible. Uh, so it's something definitely happened there. I just wish we knew what, but we got a pretty good idea. Well, you know, think about this again. World War II, was this over a couple years, you know, and the group out there with the B-29s, they're the one that dropped the, you know, nuclear bomb over Hiroshima and all that in, in Japan. Very reliable, you know, unit of the Army Air Force. And what really, when you think about this, you know, how they treated the civilians around there afterwards, you know, going to everybody that lived there and basically threatening them. That, if, if nothing really happened, if it was a weather balloon, why would they have to go knocking on people's doors and say, what did you hear? Well, you actually never heard it. If you go around talking about it, something bad can happen to you. Why would they have done that? Exactly. They they did a 180 once they realized the potentials of what they made, what they've got. Um, so yeah, that, something definitely happened there. And listen, we're still talking about it today, um, almost 80 years later. So yeah, there's definitely something going on. And there, that's the other thing, Gary. That was the flight group that was responsible for the atomic bombs. If these people yeah. couldn't tell the difference between a weather balloon and a, and a, um, a craft from off-world, that's scary in itself. It, it is. You know, again, right now, that's why I asked Debbie if, if she thought people would panic if they would have came out in 1947 and said, yes, we have a wreckage of E.T. and bodies. I, I disagree with it, Debbie, on that point, because, you know, again, we just came from World War II. People seen a whole bunch of stuff. It, what happened, you know, it, what the, the Germans, the Nazis did in the internment camps and all this stuff to people, experimenting on people, everything they did. And can you imagine if they came out and would have said, yes, we have wreckage of a UFO, we have the bodies and if they would have released the pictures of the bodies, 
I think a certain percentage of the population would have panicked. Maybe a, a big uh, population wouldn't, but I think the majority would be uneasy. They would be scared about being invaded. That would be my thought. Gee, this proves that these things exist. Here's wreckage. Here's bodies. What are they doing to, uh, on our planet? Why are they here? Why are they visiting us? I'd be scared. Oh, exactly. And, you know, you can look back at how many incidents over the years have we had with UFOs and nuclear bases. And that's right near where, well, the the headquarters of, of the grandfather of nuclear uh, bombs started. So that is scary. And so there, were they, what was they trying to do? Find out what's going on, what we're doing with nukes or whatever. And then again, that's, you know, United States airspace. Um, if that's not something to get alarmed about, what is it? Well, maybe they were just looking at us like when we go to the zoo. Ever think of that? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I have thought of that, actually. Yeah, they're curious what these creatures are, you know, that look horrible compared to us. Face it. I mean, if they're four feet tall and have almond eyes and the way the, you know, the E.T. is supposed to look, just imagine how horrible we would be to them. And, you know, here's the point. Right now, I've been getting a lot of emails the last week saying, I got two types. I got people terrified that we could end up in a nuclear war. And they're freaking out. The other one is a group of people out there. I get emails. Everyone's saying, oh, we, I'm not worried about it. The ETs will not let a nuclear war happen. I wouldn't <laughs> want to go to the casino with those odds, my friend. I really wouldn't. I... If 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 a nuclear bomb started flying every which way by missiles, I don't think the ETs, if there is ETs, are going to try stopping it. They're just going to let us do well, what we want to do. You, I couldn't agree with you more because it brings back to the old thing that I always talk about, the contradiction. Because people say, well, they can't interfere or nothing because of that thing like Star Trek, but yet they're abducting people. Well, here's the other thing. How are they going to help us if they don't want to interfere? So, and like you said, I wouldn't want to put all my chips on them, you know, coming to help and save the day. I, I, I wouldn't count on that either. Well, they haven't stopped all these wars we've been having for the centuries. They certainly didn't come in here and offer us a cure for the virus. The virus is maybe over the one we have now, but they're saying another one is happening. You know, we got the bird flu going. We got a lot of things going on right now. And if there is ETs out there and if they're listening to the show, please come and help us. We need it. We need to think positive. Well, who's our guest tomorrow? Well, tomorrow night we have Peter Hassel on. Now, he's from New Zealand, and he's got 30-plus years of research in UFOs, paranormal, and cryptids. And listen, he's got a whole new take and a whole different type of cryptids down there in New Zealand. So that's going to be a very interesting show. I think so. And again, don't forget, Saturday, who's our guest for Tom that's coming up? Well, for Thomas coming up, he's going to have Jason Offutt on. And Jason, he can talk about a monster in every state we have. So wherever you're at, he knows what monster is in your state. I hope he's not going to talk about my ex-mother-in-law again. Anyway, and then Bob Clark. Who does he have on Sunday? Bob Clark's going to have Kristen Lee on, and she owns the most haunted house of not in Ohio, maybe the United States, the Bel Air House. And she's lived through a lot of scary hair-raising incidents, so that's going to be a good one. And Monday, who do I have as a guest? 
You have Nick Valente coming on. He is a retired police officer who has a firsthand face-to-face encounter with a dog man that has, well, led him to his what he does today, uh, researching him. Well, so we're going to be talking dog man, Bigfoot, and all that on Monday. Again, if you haven't hit the thumbs up, please do. And don't forget, you might want to write this number down. Grab a pen, color crayon, paintbrush, whatever. Write it on your wall. On Fridays, you know, I haven't been taking the calls in because kind of the guests, but we're going to try again tomorrow at 8 o'clock Pacific West Coast time. It's one 253 203-6681. You can ask our guests some questions. And till tomorrow, everybody have a good one. Stay out of trouble. And, uh, well, peace out there. <laughs>